And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and our review of the 2022 World Cup Final. Yes, after 64 games, we can finally proclaim the World Cup champions are the team who lost to the Saudis in their first game. Argentina looked sharp and tied the French defence in knots and were helped by a French side who decided not to take any shots. But then, all of a sudden, Le Bleu came alive. Well, I say all of a sudden, it was minute 75. After Mbappe brought it level with something truly fantastic, a foregone conclusion became a modern classic. And in extra time, when Messi looked to have won the lot, along comes Mbappe again, this time from the spot. And after six penalties were dramatically hit, upstep Montiel to say, this is how we do it. <laughs> yes, it's a third trophy for the Albi Celeste. We have plenty of reason to gloat. After all, the internet tells us they have the goatiest of all the goats. It's been a weird World Cup with no shortage of controversies in the mix. And now it's in the rearview mirror. Let's look ahead to 2026. But not just yet. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me, a man who didn't have to write his intro three times for this podcast, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I was wondering about that. I assumed at 2-0 you had one written. I assumed at 2-2 you started writing a very different one. And then at full time, did you have to scramble back to the original one? Yeah, there's the, very little has survived of the first draft. I will say that much, Taylor Rockwell. I feel I'm pouring a lot out for the journalists in that stadium. I'm, yeah. I'm, no, I'll pour it back in because they got to witness probably the greatest World yep. Cup final in history. But also, mm. they've had to do a lot of editing today. So yeah, yeah, I can't imagine any stories are getting filed very soon aside from like, the goat does it! Maybe that will just be the easy way to get out of this one. But man, what a final. If Lionel Messi had scored that one, I can't remember if it was at the end of extra time or the end of regulation, that one that Uris just tips yeah. over the bar. Mm. If he had scored that, I, I don't know what I we would have done. It would, we would have had to take a day off or something like that because that would have been <laughs> yeah. the ultimate greatest moment in a World Cup final ever. We may still have gotten a few of those in this one, yeah. but that one well, would have I put think it over at, the top. At that point, Taylor, we could have just stopped soccer like it yeah. would have been done. Yeah. We've, won, uh, we, we've seen everything at that point. We could have concluded we're not getting past this. We're good. Yep. But now we've got to keep going. Joining nah, us, a man who knows the true winner of this game, hashtag narrative, Joe Lowry. Hello. It really was, Ryan. I, I thought this match was done, as did everybody. We've already talked about that. Messi had done his thing. We could tie a nice little bow on it. The World Cup is done. Let's move on. And then Kylian Mbappe storms back, which is exactly what all of the script writers pulling the strings from above and below wanted in this match. That, that goal that he hits first time, still I, I can't even fathom how he managed to get enough power and to place it in the bottom right corner of the goal. It's, it's massive from Kylian Mbappe. And then I think, okay, Argentina are pretty well and, and clearly shaken in this. So much happened, Ryan Bailey. Narrative yeah. one, I don't need to do the full recap now. We'll get to that later. I, I am still shaken to my core that this was a soccer game that we all got to watch in the World Cup final yeah. that we weren't sure was even going to be a good game 
oh my, was it a good game. Uh, I hope we get to all the points in this game, Joe, because there were so gosh darn many, as you say there. Uh, joining us to help us do that, a man who knew all along this tournament would belong to Aston Villa's goalkeeper, Graham Ruffin. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the real story here. It's not the Messi World Cup. It's the I mean, Martinez World Cup. I have to yeah. say I did very much enjoy his antics in the penalty shootout. Oh, there yeah. was one save in particular where he kind of does a, a, a his interpretation of a Conor McGregor sort of swagger. That that was the highlight for me in that whole yeah. shootout and possibly in that whole match. But there were a lot of highlights. I mean, Kylian Mbappe scored a hat-trick in a World Cup final and didn't win that <laughs> World Cup final. What a, yep. what a mad match that was. Yeah. He got his golden boot, though, Graham. That's almost... No, it's not. It's not as good. It's nowhere near as good. That's all I cared about. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about the World Cup final, but first things first. Taylor, uh, tight 20 minutes on the third place playoffs. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think Graham had a whole... like He had his own rhyming introduction to the third place playoff in case we didn't watch. Graham, you want to go from there? You want to riff this one? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've got that in me, Taylor. All I'll say was better than expected, but not as good as a Christmas dinner pie at the Sterling Albion game, which got postponed, and that's the reason I ended up watching this one. I mean, you still had, like, Netflix and stuff, Graham. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I could have continued watching Wednesday instead of watching Actually, that match. I, I do have a question for Graham, because my assumption was maybe that Croatia would be the team we can, that we was sort of We cannot be like, talking about this right oh, now. I didn't, I didn't actually mean we do it, Taylor. Right it was a joke. <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> just, just, well, Ryan said a tight 20. I'm good with it being like a tight 25, if that's what it has to be. All right, oh. fine. We can talk about the final instead. Fine, yeah, fine. let's do that. Um, and, and to quote Sir Alex Ferguson, football bloody hell, I think is the uh, most appropriate quote of the day here. Are we of a consensus, uh, Graham, that this is the best World Cup final ever? I mean, I say that, but like at minute 70 or so, I was sitting there yeah. thinking, how, how are we going to squeeze a whole podcast out of this game? It's like only one side have turned up. And, yeah. and yet here we are. Yeah, so in my lifetime, certainly it was it was the best, most entertaining. Maybe most entertaining is the way to put it because in, by the end, by extra time, by the, the last 20 minutes of this match, it was a hot mess and I'm not entirely sure what sort of tactical stuff was going on. Up until that point, Argentina had been very good from a tactical point of view. But yes, certainly the most entertaining World Cup final of my lifetime. I, I can't really speak for like the 1986 final. I didn't watch that. I, I haven't really watched that in full. I've only seen you know clips of that. But as you say, for about 80 minutes, it looked like being the most one-sided um, final of my lifetime. It was it's so one, one. one-sided at, that at a point I was wondering about illness in the France camp that Deschamps yeah. had spoken about because it was yeah. so unbelievably flat from, from France. And that was in complete contrast to how Argentina played. They, they were energetic. Scaloni got his tactics right from the start. Yeah. And you can kind of tell the emotion that Argentina were playing with. And it's, and it's funny, before the start of this match, talking about emotion... Before the start of this match, I didn't. I, I wouldn't say I had a horse in in this race. But then Argentina go up two 0 two nil up in this game. They're controlling that match for so long, and I'd prepared myself for okay. This is Messi's moment. This is Argentina getting the big emotional. Argentina haven't won the World Cup in my lifetime, which felt like an anomaly. And then when France went back to two two, I was I surprised myself by how gutted I was for Argentina because at that point I think the emotional pendulum has swung. I'm thinking this is going to be very difficult for Argentina to pick themselves back up again. Obviously they did that in extra time. So in the end, I am pleased that we got the 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 messy moment. You know, Mbappe's already got one. He was incredible in this match, but he's won a World Cup already. And so, yeah, I think we got... I'm not sure if Argentina were the best team. With knockout tournaments, it's always difficult to determine who is the best team. But it was fitting that Argentina got their, their moment of glory in this match. 
Yeah, and just to recap, listener, in case you're coming to this one and somehow you don't know what happened, Argentina 3, France 3, with Argentina winning 4-2 on penalties. Uh, Messi opening the scoring with a penalty, his 12th career World Cup goal. Then Angel Di Maria, who made his way back into this team, we should discuss that shortly, Mm -hmm. with a sensational team goal that he topped off to make it 2-0. But Argentina in this tournament love to blow a 2-0 lead against the European side. And they uh, they suffered, or they almost suffered a failure to kill off the game, winning control here with Mbappe from a... uh, the penalty spot and then Abapi with that incredible volley genius that Joe referenced earlier and the last 10 minutes of normal time were sensational extra time was pretty sensational as well Leo Messi uh, looking like he'd won it for his country at 3-2 before yet another Mbappe penalty uh, making it 3-3 and then we go to the shootout Mbappe and Messi going first I was very pleased to see that I'm yep. glad neither was held back for fifth penalty but uh, Kingsley Coman and Chouamini missing with uh, Montiel Montiel Jordan reference in the intro, if anyone got it there. I was trying my best to make a thing. Didn't work so well. But anyway, Joe, where do we start with this game? Where on earth do we start? We had an Argentina side from the outset, I suppose, who were very aggressive. These brilliant passing moves, triangles everywhere, looking fantastic. And the French just having no counterpunch whatsoever. Yeah, I think that is the place to start. And I don't know how long we'll be here because the the true chaos comes later on in the game. But... Argentina deserve credit. I think they were the better team in this match. I think they were extremely unfortunate and and maybe even unlucky to have France storming back into that match. A lot of things had to go wrong all at once. Argentina started out this match in near-perfect fashion, so they didn't allow a shot until the 68th minute of this entire game from France. Zero shots for France, and Argentina had been dominating up to that point. Scaloni goes with Di Maria over Paredes, so we talked about this in the preview. He did, in fact, go a little bit more aggressive with his initial lineup choice. So it was the same midfield and attacking line as the game against Poland to close out the group stage for Argentina, where they dominated that match as well. It wasn't the same orientation of those players, but he had attacking bodies on the field, and Argentina used those bodies to great effect. They were controlling the match early on. Messi would drift centrally or into the half space. McAllister would push forward, and it would be Rodrigo de Paul and Enzo Fernandez anchoring the midfield, one dropping into the back line. To, to give them a plus three, someone else as the pivot. And then you had Di Maria and the fullbacks pushing forward. And it was just a really smart approach from Scaloni in that they controlled the game and didn't really let France ever get a grip on the match. They overran France in midfield with Chouameni, with Rabiot and with Griezmann. Those players did not look like they were able to contain what Argentina were throwing at them. And, and Argentina really and truly dominated in this game. France were sloppy on the ball. And, and for a team, I said this on Patreon, for a team with with France whose game plan is built on not having the ball a lot, when they have the ball, they can't afford to be sloppy with it. And early on, Dembele has the ball roll out of bounds. Teo Hernandez has a couple of turnovers. France are just sloppy. They don't look up for it. Graham, I was wondering about the, the illness as well. Argentina took that, and they saw it, and they pressed on the gas even further. They weren't really high-pressing, but they were dominating the midfield. Alvarez was dropping in to give them even another number in that space. France had nothing. Argentina had everything. They were deservedly 2-0 up by the end of the first half. And then things did start to change as the second half wore on. But still, a really, truly impressive start to this match for Argentina. They are deserved winners here for me. Joe, one, one question, and then I've got some thoughts of my own. But for you, I agree with you that Argentina weren't high-pressing. But there were moments when it just felt like, oh, there was like a slightly heavy touch from Teo. And then suddenly there were three Argentine players on him. Yes. The ball was one and then they attacked so quickly. So you're right that it's not high pressing. What would you say it was then? Was it just pressing triggers? Was it pressing on a heavy touch? Was it just sort of 
like just opportunistic moments or something in between? Yeah, I think it's I think it's maybe a bit of all of those things. So pressing triggers to to know when the ball is loose in midfield. Okay, we need to be there to win it because we don't want to give France those moments to break forward. If Scaloni wasn't drilling that into his players' heads before this match, he shouldn't be coaching this team, right? And surely he was based off of what we saw. So they were really alive to those transition moments. And then they were still... I think compact defensively, even if they weren't pressing high up the field all the time, they were very alert and aware of those loose balls in midfield. They were, I think Argentina set up well by Scaloni, but then they executed really, really well. They took advantage of those mistakes by by France, just as France would later do to them as the second half wore on. But just alert, alive, aggressive in the midfield. I I did not know if Argentina would be able to control the midfield in this game. And, And when you think about... Rabio and Chiumeni and Griezmann versus Enzo Fernandez, Rodrigo de Paul, and Alexis McAllister. It does sort of seem obvious who's going to win that midfield battle, who's going to win the scraps. It should be Argentina when they have those those players in in those profiles. But I was I was pleasantly surprised by how well Argentina controlled that space. They deserve a ton of credit for that. They do. And I think Scaloni, especially as you've already laid out, deserves a ton of credit for the way he approaches this game and the way he has his team start. Because I think so often in finals, we get two teams that have played the way they've played throughout the tournament. Maybe they've had to make a little adjustments, but ultimately, when you get to that final, you can sort of predict what the formation is going to be, what the lineup is going to be, and then there are little permutations or changes within those basic things. And in this game, I mean, it's still the, the same rough shape that Argentina have had, but I think Di Maria on the left obviously gives you a vertical threat, gives you a tricky threat, but it also is just a more out-and-out attacker and an out-and-out attacker on the opposite side of the field to Kylian Mbappe. So you can attack down that left, and if you do cough it up in transition, if you do get caught out, it still requires that giant diagonal to get to Mbappe right away, whereas if you're attacking down your right and their left, suddenly that's more of a risk. And I thought maybe that's something... Argentina would probe for a little bit more in that first half. My prediction was I think they would target Molina making runs in behind in the first 15. I don't think I got it uh, because... First of all, just not a very good prediction, but also because uh, Molina, by my like by my watch, didn't really try to get forward at all. If anything, would move inside and just try to screen Kylian Mbappe and make sure that he was never really open. Sometimes he would get forward when they had sustained numbers, but for the most part, it felt like the game plan was keep Molina back, frustrate Mbappe, don't let him get much time on the ball, and then have Angel Di Maria attack down that left. It lets Lionel Messi drift where he wants to and find little pockets as he can. And I felt like it took the game to France more than they were expecting. And then that midfield uh, lineup that you mentioned, Joe, just sort of blocks all the options. And I think France were just really stymied for a huge chunk of this game as a result. Yeah, and I, th- I thought the 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 use of Di Maria in particular by Scaloni was was really fascinating. Yeah. You've already kind of highlighted it there, but I mentioned in the preview show that Scaloni might be tempted to to make that gamble and use uh, Di Maria to get in behind. But I thought if he did that, then Argentina would almost be playing for moments. And there was aspects of of, of this game that that was like that, particularly towards the end of the first half, where Joe you mentioned in, in our preview preview show about this match descending into okay, you have a turn, okay, you have a turn, and it did ultimately get to that point. But Argentina had control of the midfield and they had Di Maria as a wide vertical threat. And so France on on both sides, you know, in terms of control and creating their own moments, just had nothing at all. And we, you, you mentioned there the, the triggers. I'm not particularly sure what the specific trigger was, but they identified that Griezmann was a valve in the, in that in that midfield, the French midfield. And so they were swarming Griezmann whenever whenever he was getting the ball. France were just not able to get into quick transition at all. And I think Kylian Mbappe in the first half, half had 11 touches 
in total and didn't touch the ball at all in the opposition penalty box. So Argentina pretty much put in the complete performance in that first half and really up until the 60th minute when Scaloni started to make a few changes in terms of going from a 4-3-3 to a 4-4-2. I don't think that really helped Argentina at that point. But up until then, it was perfect. He'd got everything spot on. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I've got a few more questions about France. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking World Cup final, baby. Don't know why I said it like that. Taylor Rockwell, um, what do we make of the substitutions that the French made at half time? We had Giroud and uh, Dembele going off around half time, I should say. And then Chiram and uh, Wani coming on. What was the strategy there? Uh, honestly, for Dembele, I have less of an idea other than that he concedes the penalty, didn't really look very involved, maybe didn't seem up for it. Maybe he also was uh, having some of those flu symptoms either before or during this game. Who knows? But I thought his his getting skinned by Di Maria and then uh, bungling into his legs and conceding the penalty probably didn't put him high in Didier Deschamps' uh, good graces. I think for Giroud, he's more a victim of the way the game was playing out that I think he was there to do the Olivier Giroud things we've seen him do in this tournament uh, to get on the end of crosses to be a hold up player if need be and to just keep the ball in possession higher up the pitch and I don't think that's what France were ever really looking to do especially once they're one nil down and especially especially once they're two nil down and and at that point I think there's a notable absence in the involvement of Kylian Mbappe. I think he had, what, 11 touches in the first half, zero shots. Obviously, he doesn't get the one till like the 68th minute, like Joe mentioned. And so I think there's an idea of we'll put Mbappe in. Now he can be central. He can run where he wants to. We can look for him more directly into both channels. Uh, and he's just an ever-present threat that Argentina will have to deal with. But we can also bring in somebody to be more useful out wide in the attack, but also with Taram to drop in and do some defensive side of things too, and then to help facilitate that transition to attack. So I think think that's maybe it. I think largely it was about getting Mbappe central to then be able to find him with direct passes, but then some combination play as well. Mm -hmm. This is where the thread of this match being stupid begins for me, (laughs) because I actually don't think Deschamps changes were all that effective <laughs> in terms of what he wanted to do. I think yep. the the Dembele one is just a personnel change. I think he hadn't, he'd, he'd been poor up until that, that, that point. But at, at halftime, I'm thinking, or just before halftime, I'm thinking Deschamps needs to do something to bulk up the midfield. And he's got Eduardo Camavinga sitting there on the bench and he does come off the bench for France in this game, but he gets played at left back. And Camavinga's just not a left back. He doesn't know how to position himself there. There were a couple moments where at least he has that kind of recovery speed to get back. And I can't remember if it was on Messi or maybe on Julian Alvarez, but there's a tackle on the edge of the box where he does really well to win the ball back and then come away with it. But nonetheless, that's in the the left back area. And Deschamps didn't really do anything at all in the whole match to 
bolster France in the middle of the pitch, which is where Argentina were having so much dominance and control. Instead, he sticks with the 4-2-4 and just backs basically the personnel that he has. He backs Colo Moani to come off the bench and do a better job of what Dembele was supposed to do in this match. And he does that, obviously. And I think there's a slight, slight difference in that Colo Moani did more to attack the central spaces to get through the middle. And I think maybe there's a bit of Deschamps recognising there was space in, in, in between and in behind Otamendi and Romero. And we saw that for the for the, French, the first French penalty. Yeah. But no, nonetheless, I, I'm not sure it was really as much on Deschamps' changes, but on the kind of subtle change that Scaloni made. And Matt Doyle pointed this out on Twitter, but he he changes to 4-4-2 just after the hour mark. And basically up until then, Argentina had had full control of the, mid, of the midfield. And by control, I don't just mean in terms of possession, but in terms of stopping France from playing through them in transition. And uh, as Matt points out on Twitter... Uh, Scaloni going to the to the four just opened up the middle of the pitch and all of a sudden France are able to get Mbappe and Colomani involved and running at defenders and that hadn't happened at all until the final 25 minutes or so and Scaloni he might not have made changes in terms of personnel I thought he should have made changes a little bit sooner by the yeah. time Alvarez in particular comes on he looks absolutely gassed in this match but just that subtle tactical tweak I actually think it was more in Scaloni as much as he's done at this World Cup that we've praised and as well as he set up this team at the start of this match that was quite consequential and and that all of a sudden France just had that a little bit more control of the game and were able to get the likes of Mbappe and Colomani involved. When it's difficult for Argentina in this match, my my biggest beef with Scaloni was the lack of subs. And Graham, you kind of get at that. It was only one player coming off, right? It's Di Maria who comes off in the opening 90 minutes. And, and Argentina looked pretty well and truly out of gas by the time that 90 minutes was winding down. Then they make some more subs into extra time. But I do think Argentina could have used fresh legs on sooner, and that could have changed the outcome of this game. It could have made things a lot less nervy for Argentina. The other thing, though, is I'm I'm sensitive to switching to the 4-4-2. It, it clearly didn't work in this game, but I can also understand the reasoning behind it, right? It wasn't as if Scaloni is just throwing darts at a wall. He's it trying to save his players' legs. Right, exactly. Like th- We've seen this throughout the World Cup. The U.S. did it a bunch of times, and it, and it did work for them despite what people said about it. Dropping deeper can be an effective strategy to try to limit space, and it breaks up their, uh, the, the opponent's rhythm and the attack and all of those things. It saves you energy, though, most importantly. Argentina, I think, could have really coupled that 4-4-2 with some personnel changes to have some real, uh, some real power towards the end of that 90-minute stretch. At the same time, though, France get back in, and I mentioned this, and it's, it's kind of a fluke. Right, that I mean, the touch from Mbappe. So it's the 80th minute or 79th minute is when this this moment happens. It's an Argentina throw in on the far side of the field. France win the ball. They play Mbappe forward, and Mbappe takes a, a touch, like one of those long Mbappe touches that he's planning on. Then zooming around the defender to get in behind. Mouani gets on the end of that accidentally. Right, none of this was was planned from France, and he gets on the ball and, and draws a penalty. So. That is, it's a difficult moment for Argentina there that is just in, a, in a, an opportunity where they're stretched, right? That would have happened in the 4-4-2. It probably would have happened in the 4-3-3. That's not maybe as much of a tactical thing as it is just France actually finding some space in behind it. And, and one of my biggest questions about France in this game, so I talked about I, I didn't understand Scaloni's reasoning with some of his lack of subs. For France, I don't understand why they weren't going in behind more often. Taylor, I think it was you who detailed, you know, Mbappe coming inside. He has freedom to run into the channels. He, he didn't really touch the ball, right? He was not getting on the ball. France would win it. They struggled to control the midfield. They couldn't deal with Argentina's counterpress. So that's a big part of it. Argentina just cut off service to Mbappe. But you see kind of the one time that Mbappe gets in behind. And sure, it's, it's a bit of a lucky moment for France. But 
something happens. If you're France, you want to produce as many of those moments as possible. Mbappe just just wasn't there in this match for the first 75 minutes. I don't know how much of that's on him. I don't know how much of that's on France. But I think this match was very, very close to playing out differently from a narrative perspective where this was all messy, all Argentina. Mbappe doesn't show up. France don't show up. And this is an easy 2-0 win in regulation. Two things for me there. One, uh, Graham talked about the lack of involvement of Antoine Griezmann. And I think that is partially... That partially explains the lack of involvement of Mbappe. Uh, Griezmann, I think, tasked with staying higher up the pitch and trying to find those little, like the little areas in the half spaces or wherever he can to get on the ball, and then everybody collapses. And in trying to collapse upon him, he can then turn and find that through ball or find that option out wide. But the way Argentina set up and the way they crowded that midfield, the only way he can get on the ball is to drop deeper. And Stu Holden talked about this uh, in his commentary, that it felt like Griezmann was being told, stay high, do not drop in, don't come deeper, because as soon as he comes deeper, now he's even further away from the play. It's going to be harder to connect those passes. And that was sort of a disconnect that I'm not sure France honestly ever really solved. Uh, And then they do find their way back into it. I think that would have made such a big difference for them is finding a way to just get those numbers more centrally. And just see if you can have some possession, if you can make Argentina more uncomfortable. For From Argentina's perspective, after that first goal for Mbappe, I understand how it feels like it's a one-off, oh, there's the, it's a penalty, these things happen, whatever. But that right there is where I feel like Scaloni could have made a sub, could have slowed things down. Lest we forget, 80th minute is the Mbappe penalty, 81st minute is the Mbappe equalizer off that volley. And just subs to break it up. It seemed like Argentina were doing a good job of frustrating and limiting play and slowing down and having some words afterwards to make the French players just take their mind off the game for five seconds or ten seconds and that's what you want to do that's the gamesmanship you have to have when you're winning a game like this and part of that is making a sub having that sub walk off, or like the uh substituted player walk off slowly and just drain some seconds let that i don't know if you're trying to like let it restart so france aren't feeling the momentum right away but i think if anything it felt like france scored that goal restarted right away and felt like all right let's get another one and they did and i think that's where argentina could have had slightly better game management but you know nitpicking here because we know the way this plays out but uh that was the moment when it seemed like oh they're gonna get one more in regulation aren't they and it was the 90 plus seventh minute that Yuris tips that one over so maybe it could have been argentina getting one at the end there maybe that was what scaloni was setting this all up for was for messi to score the game winner in the dying seconds and then he truly is the greatest of all time yeah that was the plan um so while we're talking about the two Lionels, can I, can I can i come back and ask a question more broadly about scaloni graham um mm. 44 years old came in as a caretaker after san paoli and um, russia 2018 he's now won the copper america he technically won the finalissima thingy against italy as well and now <laughs> world cup as well um how how i mean we're debating his in-game management here what do we think of him as a coach he's obviously got a very good um (laughs) trophy cabinet now Mm. um how how much do we attribute this victory to him i suppose yeah rather a lot i think he's kind of principally anyway if you look at the boxes that he ticks he's probably the perfect international manager in that we talk about the importance of uh, a health, a healthy dressing room in that environment. He that was one of the first things he comes into that Argentinian uh, camp, and up until that point, Argentina had really been associated with mutinies, and uh, Messi had retired from international football for about two, three months, and 
He was in open dispute with the National Federation once or tw- like multiple times, more than once. And so Scaloni does that. And he's a, he's a former player. So a lot of these players are, certainly when he starts, a, n- a number of these players he'd, he'd played with. He had that relationship with Messi. But then also, I'm not saying he is Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp or he's the sharpest tactician in, in, in management. But he has enough of a tactical understanding to change games and, and match and set up his, his, his team well. And I don't think he got everything right today, but nonetheless, he got enough right to get to get Argentina over the line. So as I say, he's he's probably what every national team is looking for in a manager. manager. And he's a kind of he's a reminder that the criteria for international managers is slightly different to club club managers. You know, the, the fact that he, he probably wouldn't get a top job in the club game, but that, that doesn't really matter. And yeah, absolutely. I think he deserves huge credit for what he did with Argentina. I have to say, while I read quite a bit about Argentina and Scaloni before this tournament, I hadn't really, I didn't really have much exposure to him in terms of watching his press conferences or just watching his body language. And it very much seems like in a team that was already dominated by Messi and the singular narrative about him winning the World Cup, him being reserved and basically just wearing his tracksuit, even to the World Cup final, I don't, I don't <laughs> think he wore a suit to this match. No. But that kind of fitted everything, you know, just that, just the guy who's there to guide things. He's not a big personality, not a big character, but that's kind of what Argentina needed. So he's he's like a an assistant director to the Lionel Messi project. Is that what you're? Es- essentially, yes. I, I, I yeah. wonder if um, when when I see him, I, I kind of get, and I'm going to say, I, I mean this in the nicest possible way, like Frank Lampard vibes. In that I think that he has a connection with the players, being younger. I get that man management vibe from him, Graham. Does that feel fair? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not totally sure. I would describe that as a Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard seems to be very angry a lot of the time, particularly now that he's at Everton. But nonetheless, um, did I just do the Frank Lampard thing there of doing the, the laugh and then going to a serious point? Yeah, nonetheless, the, the, yeah, the Frank Lampard transition. But I get the point you're making. He has. He does seem like a, a good man manager who gets the best out of individuals. And as I say, we keep coming back to this point. But just having a happy dressing room where everyone is pulling in the one direction is very important. And he had that at this World the, Cup. The one thing I'll say about that, I. I agree i really do it's just that so many argentina managers have had that same remit and failed that they have not been able to get the best out of Lionel messi while getting the best out of a team and we've seen messi in tournaments just look like this is not what i want to be doing and, and that's not a shot at him it's a shot at the way the teams sometimes play you can just tell there isn't that inspiration there and there were moments of old argentina popping up when lataro martinez has that missed header at the very end it felt like oh lataro oh no oh no please don't let this go the way i think it's gonna go and it didn't uh but i think to Scaloni's credit, getting a motivated Messi who at times was pressing and was harassing people and was defending to get him to buy in and play really well, but to get the entire team to buy in and play really well around Lionel Messi is not a thing Argentina managers have succeeded in a lot. And Scaloni has now done it in two different competitions, plus the all-important Supercopa, whatever it is against Italy that no one knows. Uh, Those three (laughs) titles right there. I mean, get them all tattooed on there. I think that one is as equally important as the Europa Conference League. Yeah, if you you look through the managerial his- history for Argentina. So there's a couple in here that maybe I don't know. I, th- I think a couple, there's a couple of caretakers here. But if you look at the big names, Argentina before Scaloni have very much gone for kind of firebrand dominant dressing room figures. So Bielsa is in there. Diego Maradona is in there. Sabella Sabella at the, at the 2014 World Cup. Then you have Jorge Sampoli in there as well. So Scaloni is very much in contrast to, to those sort of guys. And I think that worked for Argentina. Yeah, and, and with this group, you don't need that, right? You don't need that person. The players are going to provide the personality. The players are going to be the ones expressing themselves on the field. 
they're going to be the ones combining and playing their way. There's a very clear style on how this team's going to play. They're so incredibly technical. We saw this on the second goal, which was unreal from Argentina. Combination from Messi and McAllister and Alvarez to get McAllister in behind and then play the ball over to Di Maria on the left who finished his first time. That goal was phenomenal, as was the third goal. Another incredible bit of combination play. Messi's the one to finish it off. I mean, this Argentina team has so much quality. It doesn't take, and Graham, I think you did a good job of laying this out. It doesn't take like some master tactician to lay out a plan for these players, right? They are good enough to combine their way through almost every team in the world, every team in the world on a good day. And you know what? You you can play a World Cup a bunch of times and you're you're not going to win it. The best team's not going to win every time. Maybe Argentina was the best this time. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe they weren't. I don't know, but Argentina have enough skill on any day to beat anyone. And I think Scaloni does deserve credit for providing the foundation for those players to then go and express themselves. He didn't do anything crazy in this tournament. I thought his changes from game to game were were good. I think a lot of managers probably could have done just as well. It's It really is, I think, balancing the locker room and keeping a lot of people who are important to winning soccer games happy and moving in the same direction. That's what he deserves credit for. I don't know if it's replicable. I don't know if he'll keep doing this job. I would assume he will for at least, you know, another stretch, another Copa America, whatever that looks like. Gareth Southgate's going to go till 2024. We're going to start seeing news about these managers come down. But for me, Scaloni does deserve credit for some things, but it is like the players are the ones who deserve so much credit for the performance they put out on the field today. Well, could, could I, Taylor, would you permit me to make an interesting observation at this point? <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, on the note of like dressing room harmony and keeping the balance of the team, as we mentioned, like this Argentina team have looked very harmonized. The passing triangles I mentioned earlier, everything looks like they are really in sync. When the winning penalty went in, they didn't celebrate together. I don't know if you noticed this, but they went off on maybe four or five mm-hmm. different factions of two to three players. Messi off on his own yep. with his arms in the air. And that struck me as curious for a team that seems that in sync to have not all jumped together and bundled mm-hmm. on top of one another in a pile of 20 something players. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it was curious, I thought. Well, the one thing I'll say that maybe excuses it is it's always awkward when you don't know when basically you win by your team scoring in a shootout. Because if you win by the goalkeeper saving it, everybody knows go hug the goalkeeper. He made that save. We win. Hooray. When it's your own player taking it, some go and hug the goalkeeper, justifiably. Some go and hug the, the winning taker. And in this case, it's, it is uh, uh, Mont- Montiel. Right? Montel Jordan. Montel Jordan, thank you. That, genuinely, that <laughs> threw me for a minute. I wanted to call him Montel Jordan. Uh, but it's Montiel who also concedes the handball penalty that Mbappe scores to equalize in extra time. So there's an element there of like maybe everybody wants to like hug him because, hey, you overcame it. You got you like made good. And so there's that. And then there's Messi. And you could see in the postgame celebrations, every it was like a queue of people waiting to hug Messi, including a full kit Sergio Aguero, which was yes. not one that I had on my bingo card before shirt. this one. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Aguero's been rooming with Messi. At this World Cup, genuinely, what? that's not a joke. What mm-hmm. I yep. haven't heard that. Twitch, and they've been doing Twitch in the room together. <laughs> well, uh, you've missed them there, maybe. So <laughs> that's the, so that's the only thing I can think is that there's three different obvious parties to celebrate with or around, and then and then the managers always celebrate together. So that's a fourth. But I think your point that you do want to see that big harmonious moment of everybody jumping together. But you know, it's been a while since Argentina have won. Maybe they just needed a refresher. They'll be back in t- in 2026. We would assume. Maybe by then they'll have the unified celebration down. Maybe so, Graham. I've got to go back to Aguero. Like, why is he? Why is he there with the team? Just a nice guy, isn't he? 
I think he's the the David Beckham. Beckham came along with an England camp, right, in 2010 once, and they put him in a suit and just said, yeah, he's a coach. I don't even think they gave Aguero that distinction. They just basically had him there as a cheerleader. With someone else's shirt on. Yeah. Incredible. (laughs) Incredible stuff. Um, Joe, if I could swing things back to uh, France and a player who wasn't there, uh, Karim Benzema, uh, this week made some headlines because he's back in training in Spain and then rather publicly seemed to suggest he wasn't interested in flying out on um, Macron's private jet to join this squad. So France, Joe, didn't have the reigning Ballon d'Or on their side. Do you see a universe where he would have made a significant difference in this game? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. I think I think there is a universe out there where that happens. Maybe Benzema adding another... Almost another number in midfield helps bring France into the game in a way that Olivier Giroud will never will never do that same stuff. Maybe that plays a part. I am skeptical that it would have that much of an impact. I, I think if I'm Didier Deschamps, I'm not bringing Karim Benzema back. Right with the way this team has been playing, I I know I predicted on the BR show and I think on on TSS as well that Argentina would win this game. That was always a heart pick more than a head pick. I I honestly thought in my head France were probably going to win this game. And I thought the recipe they'd established was good. I thought they were in position to have the talent advantage in a lot of different areas of the field. None of that mattered, right? But I, I do think Didier Deschamps would have been pretty well flamed and toasted from all sides if he brings Benzema back and it disrupts something in the team and they don't play well. I think that's an extremely difficult thing to do. For me, it maybe wasn't a, a big personnel issue for France. I think there's some tactical things. Maybe the midfield needed to be beefed up. But Giroud, um, uh, excuse me, Benzema, maybe makes a change in some universe, but I, I don't know if we're living in that universe. I guess we're not because he didn't. Right. No, okay. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Breaking news. I, th- I, I thought there was a chance he might do the Bale MLS Cup final thing, where he's basically on the bench in case France need to go late on an extra time and they just bring him on in the hope that he does something that doesn't really follow logic, but he wasn't on the private plane and he wasn't in the squad, so we don't have to discuss it. Release the Benzema. I like the idea of that. And uh, not much in this game did follow logic, Graham. Before we go to a break, any other insane moments, Graham, you want to highlight from this game? I did feel like the last 10 minutes of regular time, it was just ping-pong back and forth. It was incredible. We had a bu- There was a, a really good um, Emmy Martinez save. Was that towards the end of yeah. extra time, I think it was? Which, 120 which, plus three. There you 120 go. plus three. What a absolute save. Absolute game-changing save. And then it went up the other end within seconds as well. Yeah. Unbelievable, Graham. Yeah, I mean, this extra time, maybe this is the exception that proves the rule, but this extra time didn't exactly do Joe and I's uh, petition to get rid of extra time any good. Uh, And yours. Um, It was very entertaining. There were two goals in there. It was end-to-end. There were saves. There were shots. There was a penalty. Yeah, this was maybe the best ever extra time period ever of all time. There was Obamakano making his case to be like defender of the year. Two huge tackles in that extra time uh, session uh, like to deny what seemed to be very clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities. Yeah, I mean, for that alone, I think we should love extra time. Obamakano doing things, man. Unbelievable. The tepid response to that tells me that you guys are still on team no extra time. Got it. Oh, Got yeah. It. We could play this game a thousand times and I'd still be on team no extra time. It will never make up for the amount of extra time soccer that I've watched in my life, which is admittedly less than all of you. That has been just dreadful. This game's still incredible. Right. Obamecano was like charging for 90 or 120. I don't know what he was doing. But I don't he, think he played well. He had I, more I, speed. I, yeah. He, he had more speed to close down the ball in those moments than I've ever seen. That that blew my mind as well as the if we're tossing up moments. I know you asked Graham Ryan, but I'm doing it anyway. We All mentioned right. it earlier, the Lataro Martinez header 
that is just like so far off target. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, that was like, so bad. I felt I felt for him in that moment, but I also just laughed because it yeah. was it was hilarious, is what it was. Mm-hmm. The goal, it would have been a great header if the goal was 12 yards to his right. <laughs> um but it just the technique was all wrong in that moment, and I could never do even that that well to get my head on the ball in the mm. first place. But that one like actually got me in a moment that maybe I needed some levity because I was so locked in <laughs> on this match. That was unreal. So, so funny. Yeah, Gonzalo Higayin 2014 entered the chat at that moment. Oh my God, yeah. Maybe if you didn't have the Zoolander hair, things would have been different. I think, Graham, in the UK, we say that's a head like a 50p piece, which is the coin that's got like seven sides. It's like Harry Maguire. Yeah, there you go, exactly. Unbelievable stuff. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the penalties. I want to talk about golden balls and other things. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking about the World Cup final. Uh, you may have noticed uh, some tweets before this game, if you are on Elon Musk's lovely venture, that uh, the field, Graham, at this oh. stadium, LaSalle Stadium, wasn't quite intact. And uh, <laughs> I'm led to believe in the penalty area where it didn't look very good, we're told that was artificial turf yeah. <laughs> in a World Cup final. Yeah, so... So much, so many crazy things happen in this game that it feels almost trivial that I am obsessed by the turf. But nonetheless, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't believe it. Why didn't they just put down normal turf? Why did they put down artificial turf? What was the reasoning behind that? It only needs to last one game. I think this stadium's like getting dis- dismantled anyway. So why did they put down artificial turf? And it, it was just, it looked terrible. And in fact, in the first half, I thought the pitch was was a little bit of a factor in terms of the, it seemed quite bobbly and it wasn't just the six-yard box, it, it was across the pitch. So basically Qatar spent, what was it, like £200 billion building metro lines and hotels and stadiums, but their pitch wasn't really up to scratch. Uh, Graham, and and like when you ask a question like that, we want there to be some convoluted answer about why they had to do it the way they did, or like, oh, we like we couldn't get them to blend correctly. My honest answer is, I feel like they probably did just didn't have backup turf, and so they had to go artificial <laughs> in the last minute. Which they've is... got like ten other stadiums that aren't being used. Just go and dig them up. <laughs> yeah, but they're like they're like hundreds of miles away. There's no way you can get to those in time. Oh, they're Graham, all within Graham. 26 miles of each other. Oh, never yeah, mind. I think they're next door. <laughs> yeah, Graham, they're in a line. I don't care if this is the World Cup final. We are not defacing the Mia Khalifa at this point okay <laughs> sure <laughs> okay that makes sense yeah yeah um one other thing i wanted to talk about I'm sorry, uh, that it's just that is such a fitting like end to this world cup this particular world cup in qatar that like if ever it's like the uh the images you'll see sometimes of like landscaping crews just spray painting the grass green <laughs> to make it look like more vibrant like 
like injecting artificial turf or having to lay down artificial artificial turf feels like such a great representation of this yeah. World Cup where very pretty on the surface. I think a lot a lot more ugly yeah. stuff going on behind the scenes. It wasn't too far removed from putting Griezmann's cloak down just to mask <laughs> hey. that. I was going to say, Graham, if Sterling Albion had put some of that down, you could have watched a game instead of the third place player. <laughs> indeed, yeah, indeed, can we have that? I know that they're shipping the, what is it, Stadium 974. Can we have the turf from the World Cup final, yeah. please? You can have one shipping container, Graham. <laughs> Thank you'll, you. And you'll uh, be grateful for it. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention was penalties, particularly, mm. Taylor. I know you're the man who draws the penalty diagram, which I yes, very sir. much enjoy. Messi's penalty technique, I cannot figure it out. And we saw it in slow motion. Um, sorry, in, 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 the, um, in the shootout, when he took the first penalty, it was a P-roller. It went mm-hmm. just right across the floor. And when you watch it in slow motion, you see that he clearly was waiting for Lloris to make his move. And the skill it must take to wait yep. until the last millisecond to make your decision and then having the stones to just tap it the other way. It's unreal. I, I can't figure out how he does it. Uh, it really is that commitment. It is that self-belief. Because I think in the misses for France, especially Chuomeni, you can see him, not see him, but I can understand how he would have in that last second thought, just in case I'm going to put it as far to the left as I possibly can. And there's that little adjustment, there's that little mental recalculation that can cost you, and it costs uh, France twice in this shootout. Whereas with Argentina, none of them, like to my mind, like crushed. All of them hit to a specific spot, a very difficult spot at that we know, keeping it very low. Uh, seems like it would be the easiest place to save it, but if you put it wide, the keeper has to dive and then not have it go under them. And they put it, unless you're putting it in the very far corner, in which case the full extension save can get you there. But I feel like they put them all like close, like left of center, but low enough that even if the keeper dove, he couldn't get to it. Uh, no one aimed to their right, by the way, on either team. The the I guess the, to the keeper's left side, to the shooter's right, not getting a lot of love in this shootout. Uh, everyone went the opposite way. And Emmy Martinez guessed correctly every single time, uh, which makes me think he was either just going that way the entire time until somebody changed it up or he had done his research. But uh, either way, some clinical taking from Argentina, less so from France. Taylor, you walked us through Messi's penalty there. Can we talk about Messi for a minute or 10? I don't know how long this is going to take. And feel free to interrupt anybody if they if they want to hop in with something other than Messi. But I, f- I feel like he's earned his due. What a performance, right? I mean, it, it's a stupid thing to say about a game in which he scores two goals and scores his penalty and does everything right. But he did score two goals, scored his penalty and, and do everything right. Penalties for the longest time were supposed to be the one thing that Messi couldn't do. And he showed up doing that at this World Cup and doing everything else that you could ever want from Lionel Messi in a tournament. He is drifting inside. He's getting on the ball. It looked like it, it looked like somehow the ball was magnetic, moving from Messi to whoever was supposed to be on the end of his passes. Like, like the passes couldn't help but complete themselves. They had to go to where they were supposed to go. I don't it was like he couldn't put a foot wrong in this game. And I know he turns the ball over, Kingsley Coma and takes it from him, and, and that's how Mbappe gets his second goal of the game to get France back in the match, but Argentina aren't even winning 2-0 if it's not for Messi. He's involved in every key moment for Argentina in this game. He played a phenomenal game, worthy of winning the golden ball in this competition, worthy of finally winning the one trophy that has really eluded him. I, I could not believe how perfectly that story was written of Lionel Messi having waited so long, having having it been having it take so long to get to this moment. And then he pulls out a performance like this that yeah. was peak Lionel Messi. It looks like the same Messi that we've watched for more than a decade now at the world's highest level. He is not slowed down, certainly in the attack. Just an unreal game from the greatest player that I have certainly ever seen touch a yeah. soccer ball. 
the the debate if if there ever was one is over and and I know this this get this is quite tired uh, tired and it's been exhausting over the years but I think at this point it's fair to kind of mention it for me over my lifetime there's not a player who comes close to to Lionel Messi and the one thing that was unfairly held against Messi is no longer a factor and and just like Maradona who he was always compared to by Argentinians he has won a World Cup for for his country and I didn't realize I've spoken a little bit about this already but just to recap I, I didn't realize until Argentina got to the final just how badly I wanted to see Messi do this at a World Cup and he hasn't just done it in one game he did it in the final but he also did it in the semi-finals the quarters and the round of 16 he's the first male player to score in every round of a single World Cup and mm. um, that hadn't been done before and he just played with such freedom throughout the, the the tournament. And even if Argentina had had lost this match, it felt like a connection had finally been established between Messi and and Argentina and his, his countrymen and women that hasn't always been there. I spoke about it at the, at the top of the show. He's retired from international duty before. He's been in open feuds with the, the national federation. And so this tournament for him has kind of transcended football. And you have that moment after the semi-final with the journalist talking about how back home that that connection is there. And basically he embodies that country, not just that national team. And there was kind of an element of, we spoke about it, I think as early as maybe the round of 16 or the quarterfinals, we spoke about that element of destiny to, to Messi at this World Cup. And you could feel it pretty early on. And I don't know if there's any logic behind things like destiny, but nonetheless, you could feel the narrative was there. And so I am quite pleased, finally. I mean, this debate is dead for me in terms of who's the best of, of his generation. It's Messi. He's ticked all the boxes. He was always the best for yeah. me. And so now there's just no argument at all. Yeah, there, there should never have been an argument. And I'm hoping now that we can finally put whatever remnants of that had somehow managed to leak their way through to our consciousnesses to bed because it's it's absurd. The conversation, and, and Ryan O'Hanlon had an article for ESPN about this, the conversation should be, is Leo Messi the greatest male athlete of all time? Not is he you know, the greatest soccer player ever or better than Ronaldo or whatever silliness that is. Just a phenomenal performance from uh, like a great player, as I said. Just just so good, and I'm honestly privileged to have watched it. In, well, Joe, uh, yeah. I was just going to say, um, I, I totally get that now, but it feels a bit, with all due respect, it feels a bit like hindsighty because there was a time for many years when Ronaldo and Messi were going toe-to-toe with their sheer brilliance week in, week out. So to, so to say there was ago, n- But to say there was never a contest for this, surely there was, right? I... I I maybe am not the best person to speak on this. I have never felt that there was a contest when you watch the players play. It's like you're watching different sports. Maybe this is an aesthetic thing because they they do approach the game very very differently. Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo is a phenomenal striker, one of the best players certainly to ever play, but I've never seen a soccer player be able to contribute in the attack in so many different ways or in as many ways as Leo Messi, and now he is he's done everything. So Ryan, maybe maybe it sounds yeah. hindsighty. I I would I have maintained this opinion from infancy, basically watching a soccer game unfold in front of me. I think it is hindsighty, but that but that's okay. And I'm not going to go lead us far too far down this path because it gets boring very quickly. But the key point now is we are essentially at the end of both these players' careers, at the, at the top level anyway, at the elite level. So now is the time where we can look at the full picture. And I think that's where it's fair to say there was never really a debate. In the moment, there were a couple seasons where I think Ronaldo and Messi were... You, you can make an argue for both. But now we have that full body of work. It's messy. It has to be messy. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Taylor, I think the question now is how long in minutes, hours or days until Messi gets his World Cup tattooed, um, the trophy on him, <laughs> is it going to be Matarazzi style on, on the thigh? What are we thinking? 
Well, he's got to wait. Style. He's got to wait for Sergio Aguero to get his first. I'm assuming, ah. and then he can get his. Yeah, that's the order of priority there. I'm sure he'll get one. I hope he does. Uh, and then I hope he wins the U.S. Open Cup and gets that one because that is, as we've established, the trophy that they still have to win to be the ultimate greatest yep. player of all time. The Zenith, indeed. Yes. Uh, Messi got the golden ball in this one during the uh, celebrations, uh, during which Graham has delightfully sent us a picture of uh, Sergio Aguero hoisting the trophy <laughs> higher for all his. Uh, team talks and contributions he gave Messi in the bedroom. That sounds wrong, but it's. I guess that's what happened. <laughs> that's uh, where the best team talks happen. <laughs> indeed. Uh, Emmy uh, Martinez getting the golden glove and celebrating with it um, yep. <laughs> in a way that maybe gives a new meaning to the phrase hand of God. Uh, just appendage style, shall we say. Uh, look that one up, dear listener, if you dare. He's um, holding it where his penis is, is what yeah. Ryan is alluding to. <laughs> yeah, I, I was walking around in circles, but you went right there, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, I, don't know, I don't know what you imply by hand of God. Like, what, 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 what are you trying to say, Ryan? Um, he had a golden phallus, Arm of God. Uh, coming out of his there we go for a minute there, Taylor, I suppose, is what I was getting at. <laughs> and it's shaped like a hand. That's a family show. <laughs> I'm trying to be show. as polite as possible. It's not the type of show, Ryan. It's not the type uh, of show. So, uh, um, just to sum up, like a, a great, a great day for Argentina. Obviously, uh, commiserations to the French here, but I'd say Taylor a pretty good cap off to this tournament. Now we can, I think, in our in our Patreon on Patreon.com/slash/TotalSoccerShow, we're going to talk a little bit more about this tournament, what it's meant to us, uh, and review Qatar as hosts. But we can say for the on-field entertainment here. It's been a superb tournament, and Argentina have come out rightfully as the winner, right? Yeah, I mean, I think no matter what else, it will be the tournament that gave us the best World Cup final of our lifetimes, maybe ever, I would say ever. Uh, and, and I think for that, it, it will uh, be remembered. And I think for Lionel Messi sort of cementing his legacy, uh, I, I'm going to not wade into that debate at all. We look forward to at CR7247365 <laughs> on Twitter messaging us to say that we're wrong. Uh, you can direct those to at Joe Lowry. Uh, and that is Joe's Twitter handle for sure, so go to that one. It is, uh, but definitely. no, I, th- I think for the final alone, it will be memorable for Morocco making the run that they made, for Croatia being as resilient as they have proven to be. Uh, and then for like some of them, like the funnier stories along the way, some of the teams crashing out, I think it will be a memorable tournament, but certainly this final moves it to a new level. Definitely. And we saw Mr. Q twice on the coverage as well, Taylor. That's not Did we really? Did we get him again today? Yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We had Alexi and Stuart Holden dressed up. In Qatari attire with Mr. Q. Yeah. Oh, my great head content. Hurts. My head hurts a little bit. And talking about bit. great content, Graham, this has been a wonderful podcast. Graham Ruthven, thank you very much for contributing and congratulations if you uh, have any sympathies for Argentina. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, I'm quite pleased Argentina won. I picked them before the tournament. I kind of wavered midway through. I said France going to win the final, had some money on that, but if I just stuck <laughs> by my guns, I would have been even more pleased. But thank you. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you very much. Uh, uh, a pleasure as always. Yeah, right back at you. This game, once again, one of the best matches I have ever watched. I, st- I can't believe that it's done, that the World Cup is done. Just an unreal moment to cap off a, a very, very entertaining tournament. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Taylor Rockwell, on the board behind me that says days since Taylor Rockwell said penis on the podcast, I'm putting Uh it back to zero, but thank you very much. (laughs) My pleasure for that and anything else I may have provided today. And listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to hear more. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye!
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.